0: Hey there, it's Gary Parish, Thursday, June the uh, 2nd. This is the Eye on College Basketball Podcast. I got Matt Norlander with me, got Sam Bassini with me. First things first, congrats, Sam, on the Penguins' victory last night. I actually watched uh, this, 2-1 in OT. They're now up 2-0, now 525 on the money line. To win their fourth Stanley Cup and first since 2009, I think that's the most I've ever said about hockey in my life. Um, it, are the Penguins your favorite professional sports franchise? Have we ever talked about that?
1: Um, no, we haven't talked about it. I would say they definitely are my favorite professional sports franchise. I uh, kind of always have been. I would say, you know, like grow, growing up in Pittsburgh, I never really got into the Steelers because I never really I, I, like. I'm fine with football. I'm just kind of agnostic toward it um and then basketball there's obviously not an nba team in pittsburgh uh so i kind of picked up you know like the Cavs during my youth and then like uh just kind of was trying to float around and find a team like during college and then uh and then uh, the pirates were terrible throughout my entire childhood i mean they went through a stretch of 20 straight losing seasons like from the time i was two until the time i was 22 So it was uh, definitely the Penguins that were uh, the team I paid most attention to. And, uh, and yeah, I I love hockey. I always have. If writing about basketball doesn't work out, I would love to go and try and, uh, you know, follow an NHL team for a year. That could be pretty fun.
0: It is um, is interesting because I went through this last uh, fall with my favorite professional team, the Mets, going to the World Series. Like when your team is finally, like, good – um, like it really is, it it reminds me of my childhood a little bit and, and they're, they're, they're not off to the best of starts this season, but mm-hmm. it's, it's still fun to, 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 uh, to care. It had been so long since I was able to actually yeah. care about a professional sports team. What about for you, Norlander? Is it the bears?
2: I am a massive Chicago bears fan. Parents grew up in Chicago. I lived there, um, when I was like three, four years old. Uh, huge, I, so, I, yeah, I grew up a fan of all Chicago sports. I'm still there with the Cubs, but I'm not the way I used to be. I Actually, my first uh, appearance in a newspaper was when I was three years old. My father worked in hotels, and so I'm sitting in a lobby with my mom waiting for him to get off his shift, and I'm running around. I have no memory of this, but I'm running around the lobby, uh, basically pretending it's my own little mini baseball diamond, and I'm calling out all the one through nine Chicago Cubs roster with batting average, home runs, RBIs, and there was a writer for the Sun Times, I believe, that was also coincidentally there. And so I made his weekly notebook column, <laughs> uh, which was kind of, which like thrilled my mother. Uh, so I started as a Cubs fan over everything, and then Bears by the time I was like six or seven, and then by the time I hit my um, middle school years into high school, uh, it was huge into the Bulls, and that was primarily because of Jordan. It's interesting, like I still root for the Bulls. But I am nothing like I used to be. Like I'm, guys. I was obsessed with the Bulls. I, like basketball cars, the whole deal. Uh, I would make like personal. Like when they three peated the first time, I made this huge homemade three peat banner and we hung it outside my house in Vermont. Like it was, it was all pretty much Jordan. So, but basically, uh, Andre Dawson, Walter Payton, and Michael Jordan were my three sports heroes. The Bears are the only ones. That I'm still tremendously emotionally invested in the Cubs, I still very much pay attention to, and I'm enjoying the season. I am absolutely not convinced that they're going to win the World Series. I probably won't even allow myself to believe that's even possible until they're like leading in a World Series, if they even get there. Um, and the Bulls, I still have passing interest in, but it's nothing like it used to be.
0: Yeah, for me, it's really—I I mean, the Grizzlies because it's—it's it's my hometown team. I, I you know, I—I mm-hmm. I, I like to see anything related to my hometown do well. Uh, but in terms of like real passion from my childhood, it's it's the Mets. So it's been fun the past couple of years. Like I'm, I, I my my routine is like I get off radio and then I come home. We play with the kids, but we've always got the game on. Like every night, the, like the the Mets game is on in our home. So that's it's been pretty cool to to get reinvested in that uh, to this degree over the past couple of years because it's been a while since they've been uh, relevant enough to make you care on a on a daily basis. But the basis. season,
2: like yeah, real and... quick, the, the with baseball, like I still enjoy it, but. I don't know, like I don't know if it's our culture now. I don't know if it's just because we, as you get older, you just tend to lose as much interest in sports overall. And I think football is just tailor made for the way we live our lives. But like, I still like I've watched the Cubs on television the past couple of nights when they've been playing the Dodgers here, but I can't follow a season from April all the way to October. I don't know. It just does not hold my interest the way that uh, other sports do. Like I, I still I, I keep tabs, but I can't watch. I can't watch, you know, 140 Cubs games. I don't know. But, GP, because of the Mets resurgence, like, and maybe because you have other weighted interests in the Mets, I don't know. But there's something about baseball, man. It's just not the same as it used to be. Like, I remember growing up in the 80s watching This Week in Baseball. Like, that was one of the things I, I like, looked forward to all week. Like, I thought that was so fantastic. And I would, I would totally geek out on the box scores and all that stuff. Uh, did you guys ever play like baseball with dice? Like you know that game where you like roll the dice and you can actually like play baseball? Have you heard of this? I don't, Anybody? I,
0: I, I have. That,
2: that that sounds vaguely like yeah. Yeah, like,
0: like I, I, I like I recognizable, but I don't remember yeah, it exactly. Like the
2: baseball used to be such a part of what I uh, like looked forward to from the ages I don't know of like three to ten, three to eleven, three to twelve. And now I don't know. I don't. I can't explain it. It just doesn't seem to have the urgency that it once did. And I'm sure there are other factors in play, but more power to you if you can if you can track and passionately follow the Mets from April to October. I just I can't get invested on a day by day. You know what? You
1: know what? I think for I think for us, too, that like particularly with our jobs, like Parrish is set up perfectly. You know what I mean? Like, it's you know, our jobs end in what uh, end on what April fits yeah, basically there's college
2: basketball there's and baseball, off season
1: yeah. and then you know you're kind of I don't want to say you're just hanging out but you know I, I mean this is my busy season certainly but you know Parrish is uh, he's able to come home and watch the Mets like during hockey season it overlaps with our season the whole time and I uh, I would probably say I only watched maybe 15 to 20 Penguins games this year in terms of the regular season and uh, it's kind of frustrating but uh, i'm very uh, very pleased with the run still nonetheless you
0: know what i can i can actually tie this back to college basketball given that it is a college basketball podcast and i did not expect to have this conversation no, for, no. for as long as we Gary we're
1: Gary, mm-hmm. Gary the longer this goes on the longer we don't have to talk about john calipari doing Weird stuff. The SEC, like Media Day. Oh, I can't. Saying, I but,
0: can't wait to talk about that. We're gonna do that in just a uh, uh, second. <laughs> hey, here's what. Here's. Here's what baseball is. <laughs> By the way, to to underline your point, Orlando, about baseball not being what it once was. Um, ESPN. I don't know if you saw it. Like yesterday, did a. They devised a formula and uh, based on social media presence and endorsements and Google search uh, data and uh, came up with a list of the top 100 most famous athletes in the world active athletes in the world and like number one was ronaldo two was lebron three i think was Messi, so on and so forth um there wasn't a baseball player in the top 70 not not in the top uh, bryce
2: harper doesn't even hit was, to- i mean bryce harper is basically the only one i would think that would even hit the top and a i mean if you wanted right, to go but, bryce harper yeah. was
0: 71 i think mike trout was like 74 but it was like i mean you had nba players in the top five I mean, technically, the top. I'm sure sure
2: you have a lot of golfers. I bet you Federer was top 10. Tennis is big worldwide. Dahl
0: was up there. Federer was up there. Uh, Surprise me, Steph Curry was like outside of the top 30, I think. Um, Wasn't even a top six NBA player, according to the Mm. formula they divide. I know that doesn't pass the smell test. Part
1: part of this, too, I think, is that you kind of just grow throughout the consciousness the longer that you're in the consciousness. You know what I mean? Like, Steph has largely only been in like. You know the high-end public eye for the last like two two and a half years. Right. You know, so Der- I think Der- that Derek
0: Rose was ranked ahead of of uh, Steph primarily right. because he's he was super famous five years ago or six years ago or whatever it was.
1: Exactly. That that doesn't surprise me all that much. I would say that you know I, I do think that. Steph is a more famous person than Derrick Rose, but does Derrick Rose have something goofy going on in like China or something like that? Like in terms of being super popular there. Yeah. There there
0: is a little bit of that too, because there were two cricket players from India. I don't don't doubt that. Yeah. I believe that in like the top 15 or 20. So anyway, my point is baseball, like the, uh, the players just don't register and they're not. So how about this? Go look at Twitter followers. Go look at Bryce Harper's Twitter followers or like, um, I don't know, like, any, any, like, Noah Syndergaard Twitter followers, even a star in New York, like, they they don't even come close to, like, NBA Twitter followers or even NFL Twitter followers. So that's part of it. And then a lot like college basketball, I think Major League Baseball is completely localized. like Regionalized, it, yeah. yeah it, I it, it matters where it matters, and it matters there <laughs> in uh, a lot. But it doesn't – I guess I'd say this. If you're a casual sports fan, it's almost impossible for you to not – know what's going on in the nfl to not know about the big stories in the nfl it's just going to hit you you know when you turn on the radio somebody's talking about it you turn on the television somebody's talking about same thing with the nba it would be i don't care if you don't know anything about the nba or care about the nba it would be impossible for you to not know about steph curry to not know we're headed to the finals with lebron james and steph curry to not know about stephen adams getting kicked in the nuts like it would be impossible for you to not be aware of those things even if you don't care with, with Major League Baseball, if you don't follow it, you won't know anything that's going on. Like, if you don't follow Major League Baseball, you might not know that Mookie Betts did something the past couple nights that had literally never been done in, in the history of baseball. Mm-hmm. You might not know that any of the big storylines in baseball, uh, that that Arrieta is having this unbelievable stretch, mm-hmm. you wouldn't, you, w- you just wouldn't be aware. And it's a, lot, it's a lot like college basketball. I think it matters where it matters, but the stories don't really resonate uh, from market to market. Um, like, like if you live in Chapel Hill, you will know everything about North Carolina basketball, but you might not know anything about Arizona basketball. You know, like it just, it doesn't travel market to market. And I think baseball and college basketball are similar in that way.
2: I would think that's, I would think that's fair. And I think that is more and more. I think football is largely going to be, I mean to a certain extent the NBA has that but it, it also doesn't because honestly like do New York Knicks fans really care what's happening in Utah I don't I don't necessarily think that's to be the case I think football because of it's once a week uh, because college football fans are knowledgeable passionate and it's become so much more nationalized in the past 15 years I think there's something to that so I don't I don't know if baseball and college basketball are the only sports that are a victim to that but I think specifically I think those are are the two that are becoming more and more victimized to it. It victimizes even the right word, but baseball, which used to be so national, clearly, is so much more regionalized. And the irony here, I believe—I mean, you don't have to quote me on this, but certainly if anyone's listening can fact-check— I believe baseball makes more money than any other sport. Overall, maybe the TV stuff gives it to the NFL because of the baseball's inventory. You have 162 games, so it's still— has huge profit margins and it has obviously no salary cap when it comes to players. So it's still, it's weird how successful it still is for owners in that sport and for players, but it does not seem nearly as, uh, you know, central to the sports, national sports conversation as it was in the mid nineties and certainly seventies and eighties.
0: No, like if you're a good baseball, if you're a successful baseball franchise, you can put 35,000 fans into a stadium, you know, uh, 81 times a year. Like that's incredible. Like the right. the revenue mm-hmm. you get you get off of that. So, um, yeah. Like it, I don't know. I, I it's like in the years where the Mets were bad, and I I don't want to say I completely tuned out, but I just I wasn't coming home and watching every game. I would look at box scores and read stories, and, you know, check the blogs, but I wouldn't be. Uh, watch. I I could. I could be you could ask me on any given day, hey, who's leading the AL West? And I'd be like, "Uh, oh, you know, I'd have to go check now because I follow it so closely. Like I can I, I could probably do a baseball podcast. Um, but it, it's not it's mm-hmm. it, when it didn't matter to my, when my favorite team didn't matter like that sport d- almost didn't matter to me. And I think that's uh, I think that's true of Major League Baseball in general. And and probably on some level true of college basketball as well. Let's talk college basketball. By the way, you mentioned it, Sam. Let's talk about it now. John Calipari uh, wants to move the SEC tournament to November, play it at the Georgia Dome, put two courts on the floor, have multiple games at a time. But the winner will not get an automatic bid to the NCAA tournament. The automatic bid would still would 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 um, suddenly go to the regular season champion of the SEC. Your thoughts, Matt Norlander?
1: Okay. Let's just make it Uh, near you.
2: No, well, listen, I I think Cal sometimes overthinks things too much for his own good. (laughs) You don't say. Listen, I will side with him on I do. uh, I'm a proponent of regular season champions getting auto bids to the tournament. I'm I'm just a proponent of that in general. Obviously, this is happening in Cal's mind because Kentucky – you know, ran through the SEC tournament and it was not reflected in its seeding in the NCAA tournament this past year. And more and more, if you look at the past half decade to a decade, the title games that are happening on Sunday, when the selection committee has done most of its bracketing and seeding, we are finding more and more. I mean, Michigan State this year should have been a number one seed. They ended up with the number two. They won the Big Ten tournament. It basically amounted to nothing. And so Cal's point is – we shouldn't even be having these game these tournaments leading up to the to the selection show because what really what impact do they have? I would disagree with that to a certain extent, but he does have a point if he's specifically coming from the Sunday aspect of it because while the committee has contingency brackets in place, I've always held the belief that they don't take as much stock into those final runs because ultimately what teams are doing a lot of times on Saturday or Sunday is they're in the semifinals and then into the finals they're usually adding two really high quality wins you know broadly speaking these are top 25ish wins and yes that can absolutely should have a difference between landing a number 1 and a number 2 seed so i get where he's coming with that in terms of having a tournament in november to kick off the season i i don't necessarily think this is anything that should be taken too seriously because honestly college basketball has a number of really interesting Um, exempt tournaments that are already happening. I don't think we need another one. I don't know if this is necessarily going to be anything that helps or improves college basketball as a quick aside guys, I will say uh, I'll probably write something on this as we get closer to the season. But to me, it seems like we've got a, a few more pretty solid home and homes that are being set up for next year and the year after that, which I think is good. Not as much as I'd still like to see, but I think the sport is still nudging itself in the right direction in terms of November and December basketball. Cal, this is a misfire, whatever. It's never going to happen. You're not going to have the SEC decide to blow its whole thing up, not have an auto bid for its tournament, and start holding the games in November regardless of venue. I mean, hold it in the Georgia Dome with two courts. What are we even doing? Like, this is this is ridiculous. But it's Calipari, and I'm telling you, without fail, the guy manages to get Kentucky into some sort of headline every other week at the absolute worst in the off season in college basketball, which – honestly it's, it's he's the he's the best marketer and pr guy in the history of the sport it's just ridiculous the idea is ridiculous i get where he's coming from it i don't endorse it
0: uh, sam i uh, my understanding is you do not endorse this either
1: so what is what is his benefit here like what do you get out of winning the sec tournament in november we'll say like what what is the advantage that you get like as an sec team do you guys know i, I didn't Read it, or was this just like a totally half-baked idea?
0: No, well, here's the thing. Here's the truth, at least. Me knowing Cal for as long as I've known Cal, sometimes he'll say ridiculous things to try to make larger points, and that's what I believe. I don't, I don't genuinely believe he genuinely wants an SEC basketball tournament in November. What I think is he is, he he does genuinely believe, and I don't disagree with him that holding your conference tournament title game on Sunday afternoon of selection Sunday doesn't do your league any good that if you win it you don't you don't gain from it what you would gain from it playing that championship game on Saturday and and while the committee denies this um, I will say that we have had multiple instances over the past several years where you go god did, that, did it not even matter if this team won on Sunday afternoon did mm-hmm. it not even matter if this team lost on Sunday afternoon like um, so like, I, I completely agree with his point that the league doesn't do itself any favors by holding a championship game on Sunday, because if you win that game, it should be another quality victory in theory that adds to your resume and helps your seating, but it doesn't always seem to do that. I agree 100% with, with John's point there, um, the, the but... So the the so the actual like sensible argument would be we got to figure out a way to get our championship game off a of Sunday. The problem with that, of course, is that the television contract is already signed. Like they're, the SEC is contractually obligated to play that uh, on Sunday for the foreseeable future, as far as I know. So, oh yeah, and so, with
2: the buildings as well. Yes. Yeah, we yeah,
0: all that stuff. So so rather than just uh, continue to bitch about. How the Sunday championship game doesn't work, he he decides I'll just go completely in another direction. Let's hold it in November. Let's uh,
1: pro- no nuclear. Yeah, Why
0: not? yeah, and and so it's really his his passive aggressive way of complaining about a Sunday championship game, uh, but but framing it as I've got this great idea. Uh, the problem, of course, is that it's it's not a great idea. And and he said that, you know sometimes when when you say different things. Um, you know, people think you're crazy. Well, this isn't – people don't think this is crazy because it's different. It's just – it's crazy because it's crazy. Um, first off – Crazy because <laughs> it makes
1: no sense. Yeah.
0: Well, first off, uh, you know, he, he's got this idea for this massive event. Like, remember, he's talking about putting it in a dome. That's a lot of seats. He's got this idea for this massive event, except here's the problem. SEC fans do not care about basketball in November. How many
2: – Also, could, so valid.
0: Yeah, Kentucky yeah. fan. Kentucky fans will go. Who else <clears> is going? Who else is going to spend, presumably, a November weekend watching college basketball
1: among SEC fans? I know know that Avery Johnson's turning around that Alabama program, but, like, come on. How about this? (laughs) Do you think any Alabama fan is going up to, like, Atlanta to go to the Georgia Dome, like, on a— God, it'll probably have to be like a Thursday, Friday, Saturday for what Cal wants. Like, no, it, do you think anybody is going up and doing that? it'd
0: have to, it actually have to be probably longer than that, right? it had to be like whatever it is now, like a five-day event, a four-day event.
1: I well, mean, like, it would probably have to be like Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, and then Sunday, because God knows nobody's watching this on Saturday. Well, you
0: can't get up. That's the uh, okay. So one problem is SEC fans do not care about basketball in November. They just don't, right? I had an SEC coach tell me one time. I don't want to say which one but we were talking about scheduling and he said like people get on to me about my non-conference schedule but like it doesn't matter who i play like i could schedule kansas and and north carolina and my fans do not care if i if we, we're bringing kansas in in november and north carolina in in, in december nobody cares he's like my fans are going to look up in january and go oh we're having a pretty good year or oh we're not having a pretty good year but they're not going to look up till january it's just it's very hard to break into that, even Billy Donovan couldn't do it at Florida, and that was Billy Donovan with back-to-back national titles. He had a hard time filling up that arena in November and December. Um, to that point, I'll say this:
1: Ohio, like Ohio State, like having been there, I guess in the last like seven years now, right. but like that—that's coming off of you know Greg Oden and coming off of all of these great years. Evan Turner wins National Player of the Year. Nobody went to games in November and December. Right, right. Like it, it's hard to fill that arena up in general, but like nobody goes in those late in those early months. Like it just is what it is. You just have to kind of, it's not even just a problem within the sec. It's a problem in general when it comes to high-end football schools and the high-end football schools are the revenue drivers. So yeah, it's not, it's not even just a problem that is an sec thing. It's just a problem around the country.
0: So my first year at CBS was, um, 2006, seven season. So it was, uh, Billy had just won his first national title. They were preseason number one. And they had a, a game scheduled with Kansas in Vegas for Thanksgiving weekend. Right. And uh, so it's, it, it ends up being number one versus number two. All right. It was. I remember, I remember this game. Yeah, yeah. So Darrell Arthur was great. And Kansas actually beat them. So it was Noah and all the and Horford, their last year of college, playing Kansas. One versus two. One versus two. You've got the, re- the reigning national champs and in the arena In Vegas. I think it was at the Orleans Arena. I
2: think it's the Orleans. I just remember specifically watching this game with my buddies. I'm almost positive it was at the Orleans.
0: Dude, It was 95, maybe 98, 99% Kansas fans. There were no Florida fans there. Zero. Also, one Florida beat writer there. One. This is the reigning national champs, ranked number one in the country, playing the number two team in the country, and there were no Florida fans, and there were no Florida beat writers. I think one. I think I think Brockway was there. That's it. And when when you ask like, whoa, why why, why are Florida fans not here? Why are why did or why is there no Florida media here? Because Florida was playing Florida State in football the next day. That's why. That Matt... was
2: 06, which I believe. No, I, yeah, I was think yeah, it was, so that, was that Tebow? Or Cle- Chrisley? either way, that was the year that they won the title or they just after they won the title. But, yeah, that was like also – that was peak urban at Florida too. Right.
0: So, that, that's my, my point is Florida had like literally the best basketball team in college basketball, and they were playing a high-profile game coming off a championship season, and nobody cared. Not even Florida fans cared. So, you're not going to get SEC football fans to care about a November basketball tournament. Beyond that – um, Sam you made this point not only can you not get people to watch you can't get on television on a Saturday that's why all of these events you know they like the, the, the Thanksgiving events like the one in Orlando the one in Anaheim wherever they put these they typically play like Thursday Friday Sunday they take that day off it's not to rest they can't get on television because like ESPN ESPN 2 ESPNU CBS Sports Network uh, all, all the all the channels Fox Sports 1 they're all filled with college football you can't get college basketball. That's why in November, December, college basketball teams play on Fridays a lot. They don't do it once football's right. over. They play on Friday a lot because you cannot mm-hmm. get you can't get on TV on Saturday with uh with during college football season. Beyond that, um, and I I get where you're coming from, Norlander. On you think the regular season champ should should uh, receive the automatic bid uh, to the NCAA tournament. Like I fundamentally agree with that. If in the spirit of that ensures that your best team actually gets there.
2: That's just a truer measurement. Yeah. Right,
0: yeah, but here's the problem: um, a conference tournament without a, a a big, like a big prize, an auto bid to the NCAA tournament, um, is a conference tournament that's not worth much. Like, like the reason Championship Week exists, and all those leagues can get a a game on national television, is because they're playing for something real. You know, if you take that out of the equation, like. It, it, it does two things. One, it makes it feel pointless, like, what are we even doing this for? You're not playing for anything. While recognizing that often in the power conferences, not always, but often, um, the two teams playing for the, for the title are, are going to be in the NCAA tournament no matter what. Um, beyond that, if you do it in November, like, let's say you're, you're, you're Georgia and you're struggling. You're Ole Miss and you're struggling. Um, you, you can always say, hey, you know, we've got that tournament. If we get hot. You know, Ole Miss did it a few years ago with Marshall Henderson, right? They probably yeah. weren't going to the NCAA tournament. Got hot, won the Georgia auto. Game. did it
2: one year. They, they, got, they ended up with a 14 seed in, like, 2008. They won the SEC tournament out of nowhere.
0: Right. So, like, to remove that from the equation, like, removes a huge aspect from these tournaments. Like, it, 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 it rips away hope for teams that are, uh, you know, sputtering along. For instance, you know, we as much as we talked negatively about LSU last year, um, we, you know, we could always say, you know, if they get hot and win in the tournament, they could, you know, Ben Simmons could still, you know, make the NCAA tournament. It didn't happen, obviously, but you, th- there's always that glimmer of hope. And so, if you move this to November and take away the uh, auto bid from it, then um, then that 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 aspect of of conference tournaments is gone. And I imagine television networks aren't that in, enthused about conference tournaments that don't have an NCAA tournament bid.
1: Uh, at stake beyond all that, you, you know, who, you know, who else could have made a run in the sec tournament? Hmm. Devin Downey. God, shout got out it to Devin, Devin Downey. Downey. Shout out to Devin
0: Downey. He, he, damn, he, she could have for sure. I miss Devin Downey. <laughs> Here, here's, um, here's the other thing. Like, this is all designed to like, cause, cause Cal says you need to get more sec teams in the NCAA tournament, but like somebody explained to me how this helps that. Like, like, you think LSU would have been better positioned for the NCAA tournament if we'd had a SEC ter- SEC tournament in November as opposed to March? Like, I don't, I don't. That's where the logic sort of falls apart. Like, okay, move, but like, how does it help if you identify all these problems? Um, we need more attention on our league. We need more teams in the NCAA tournament. How does this move actually aid that in any way? I don't think the SEC tournament needs to be played in November as opposed to March, as opposed to any time. If if the goal is to get more SEC uh, programs in the NCAA tournament, uh, what to make that happen? You just got to have better basketball programs. Period. Like, just be better at basketball, and you'll get more teams in the NCAA tournament. Like, this ain't that complicated. If you're if you have better basketball teams in your league, you get you get more teams in the NCAA tournament. Like, sometimes I think I think we overthink this. Sometimes is it? It's pretty much that simple, isn't it? I know you can I know you can manipulate RPIs and all that stuff. Um, but like at the end of the day, like just get, get better basketball teams and then you'll have more teams in the tournament. Yeah.
1: Yes, I agree with that. Uh, I do think that, yeah, you can manipulate the RPI. And I think that sec teams probably need to do a better job of that. And I think that they will going forward, but
2: well, they are, aren't they? I to interrupt Sam, but isn't this now part of the new, uh, uh, isn't this a, a rule going forward with the sec that they have to schedule opponents with an average RPI of 175 or higher over like a certain year period, I think the SEC is implementing this. So they're trying. That's certainly mm-hmm. a more logical thing than what Cal is suggesting. And for all the issues with the RPI, generally speaking, if you're scheduling teams that are higher than 200, you're going to be playing higher quality teams. So that is that is a good thing on on behalf of the SEC. Without yeah, a doubt. I mean, here,
1: here's the thing. Like, they didn't do a good job of it this year. Like, straight up. I mean, you don't only have two teams in the top 50 of the RPI as a Power 5 league if you, uh, you know, do this properly and game the RPI properly. And I think that, like Matt said, they're going to do that going forward. But I think that there are steps being taken to the SEC, like, actually being prominent in the future at this point. Like, you know, Texas A&M has it going, Uh Florida, you would hope after Billy Donovan left might get it going, but, uh, I'm pretty in on Mike White as it is. So maybe that's just me thinking that this is the right thing, but South Carolina, Vanderbilt, uh, you know, Alabama, uh, Mississippi state, Tennessee, all these schools have just hired, you know, really strong coaches that should be able to lift the league without any, uh, you know, wide ranging, ridiculous, uh, you know, game changing idea in terms of, you know, changing the date of the SEC tournament or uh, any sort of like, like thing like that. Like this should just be an organic process at this point. Bruce Pearl is at Auburn now. Like uh, you would think that once this thing gets going with all of these high end coaches, like it's going to be fine. And you have to trust those guys to get to the NCAA tournament, John, not just, uh, not, not just assume that you have to make these wide-ranging changes because your team is dominating the league.
0: I do appreciate him saying that out loud, though, because it does give, you, give us something to talk about in, in June. So uh, th- thank you, Coach Cal, for that. But it is sure. – um, he, he, I do like – let me be clear – that he has these big ideas – um, and often they're like really good ideas. Um, they are. That's that's yeah. why that's why he is who he is, and he's become what he's become. But this one just is. I think you called it a misfire, Sam. It's a it's a it's a a, a misfire. I will say, to the point you made, it is a little baffling that the SEC hasn't turned the corner in basketball yet, because I. I thought it would have already happened. I wrote a story two years ago. Mm. like detail, Well, I, I think it's coming. How about this? I will be surprised yeah. if in the next two years we don't look up and the SEC basketball is, is considered one of the best basketball leagues in the country because every, everything's in place. Like, they have all of this money, so they've invested in facilities, in budgets, in uh, coaches. They've got accomplished guys in the league from John Calipari to uh, uh, Ben Howland to Bruce like, Pearl.
1: It- like they, is Andy Kennedy a bottom half of that league coach? Which is insane because Andy Kennedy is an awesome coach. I'm just saying, like, you look at who's around that league now, and, you know, does he fall in that, like, top seven coaches in the league? It's kind of crazy, yes, right? I had
0: a note on them in the Inside College Hoops column a few weeks back. I can't remember exactly what it was, but it was like you would never guess it unless, you know, uh, until you saw it. It was something along the lines of um, – like over the past four years or five years or six, whatever the, the time length was, um, their average finish in the league was like second or third. It ranked third in overall. Like it was it was just remarkable. Like I oh I you know I live in North Mississippi so like uh, and my neighbors are Ole Miss grads like on both sides <laughs> and they, like he is so underappreciated. At Ole Miss, he is like, he's it's, a really, really good coach. He's good. Like I, I, honestly, I thought Memphis should have gone after him when, when you know, Tubby will be fine. I, I, like the Tubby Smith hire, but I was, I was surprised that he wasn't more of a option at Memphis because I think he'd absolutely kill it at Memphis. Like I, I think he would, he mm. would, he would be, he's perfect for uh, that job. But like everything's in I place. Think every
1: every high major opening or every top twenty job that opens, I think he should be a name that they call. Right. Like I, there's. Just no reason to. He's 48 years old. Like, he has, like, uh, a high number of wins at this point for... What you'd expect from a 48-year-old year-old coach at Ole Miss, and uh, he was there at Cincinnati for a year, but like he's gotten 230 wins in 10 years at Ole Miss. That's right. insane.
0: No, it is insane. He's uh, he's 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 really. He, I mean, he's he's the all-time winningest coach there for uh, for a reason, and it's not just because he's been there for a long time. And by and by definition, you can't be somewhere for a long time in this era of college basketball unless you're doing a um, a, a good job. But I, I um, the recruiting budgets are all like. Like I, th- I think they have more in the top 25 than than maybe any other league. Like uh, I'm just saying, everything's in place. The 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 budgets, the facilities, the um the 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 coaches. Like everything's in place for that league to be better. I suspect that it will be. If it doesn't turn the corner, I'll be surprised. Um, but either way, moving a conference tournament to November is not going to uh, aid it in in any way. Before we get out of here. Um, I do want to ask you, Sam, a, a one draft question. Are, uh, are you surprised by the Marquise Chris stuff at Washington? Our buddy Jonathan Gaboni <laughs> now has him uh, going third overall to Boston.
2: Uh, I just don't even.
0: Well, well, like, how about this? I don't get this. Has, has this it's ever...
1: not. Has, that's not, like, wild either.
0: Has I, this, I will has, say
1: that. Like, has, he's not off on that.
0: Has this ever happened? Has a guy who was not a top 50 player coming out of high school ever gone one and done top five pick. I don't think it's ever happened.
2: I don't see how it could. And I don't get, Um, maybe I could be wrong. I do not understand how Marquis Chris is even a top 15 pick, but whatever. Like, I I mean,
1: I have him at 15 or 14 right now. I mean, it's, he's a fine project and I think it speaks to the weakness of the draft that he's considered like a guaranteed top 10 pick. Um, It especially is a statement on this draft when we're talking Mark, Marquise Chris being a top five pick like it's he fouled out of 15 out of 34 games this year he fouled out of 10 of his 18 Pac-12 games this year uh he doesn't have any idea how to defend uh in any capacity um and You know, his basketball sense is minimal and I know he's 18, but he's I I get it with him. He's, you know, a a guy that is six foot 10 insanely athletic. He hasn't been playing basketball organized at least for a long time. I want to say it's four to five years. Uh, So you assume that the upside there is just insane uh given what he can do uh in terms of exploding toward the rim in terms of shooting from distance uh but he he doesn't handle the ball well he kind of wants to be someone asked him like who he models his game after and he said rudy gay and i I was terrified yeah you don't want to do that yeah for a power forward (laughs) that you're assuming is like a stretch four (laughs) i'm just like okay this is kind of scary um but he does a lot well uh you can see how that would work out as a project yeah. in the like 15 range maybe even like in the 12 range yeah
2: i don't but, understand like you're telling I, me right I'll now say this team...
1: like it's not crazy him going in the no top you know five what actually is it,
2: it is crazy <laughs> if you're gonna take marquise chris over an sure. amazing yes. nba ready two-way player like chris dunn okay Who's well, not yeah. a perfect no, 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 player, no, no, no. I, I but do like there's agree no, there's no, there's right there. no doubt. Like this is ridiculous. Like and and even Buddy, who is not an NBA level kind of defender, but for what the NBA is right now, like Buddy healed is a plug 'em in, ready to go guy right now. See, this is, this is what I think frustrates, well, so, one writers, but certainly some fans and just observers of both worlds of basketball here, is. Marquis Chris didn't really do crap on a really inconsistent Washington team. It doesn't mean that he can't become a good NBA player. Of course he can. There have been plenty of guys over the years who didn't really have too much of a college career and certainly blossomed at the NBA level. He, he could do that. He wouldn't be the first and he wouldn't be the last. But when you see – like with Buddy Heal specifically – like his trajectory and the player that he has become, like if you just have simply watched what he's done from freshman to senior year to see how incredible he is now, I don't understand why buddy heel wouldn't seriously be a lock to be a top six, top seven pick just because of how good he is offensively and how Mm -hmm. offensively oriented the NBA game has become. So when you have serious discussions about a guy like Marquise Chris, who's a project, I don't know this. Sometimes I think, Scouts and GMs can just overthink themselves here. Like to me, it's a, it's an absolute no brainer. Sure, Chris is more athletic, he's bigger, maybe he turns into this great, you know, step out and shoot four man that can also play really well around the rim. But you know what? There's a really good chance that he will never be that. And Buddy Heald, if he doesn't last ten years in the league, I will honestly be shocked. He's oh, just he is made for it. Why don't you go with the sure thing? And I understand fits another question altogether. But when you get these things, like every year, these dudes just like pop up. I don't know. Uh, to, to me, it's, it's baffling.
0: I'll be surprised, yeah, no, if, I, I'll be surprised if Buddy Hield is not. I'm with you on, on Hield. I, like, I think I have him going sixth, maybe. Um, I think he's ready to play tomorrow. And with shooting being more valued than ever, I just don't understand how he's not going to be in the league for a long time.
1: Well, yeah, I, I don't see Buddy falling below eight at this stage. Uh, I think that it would basically take Sacramento moving out of the draft for Buddy to fall below eight. Um, and that's a possibility cause they do want to vet. but like buddy's floor, I think right now is eight. Um, in terms of Chris, you know, here's a guy that I have ahead of him. I have Scalabissier ahead of Chris on my personal big board.
2: And I but, would agree with that. And I killed Scal a lot during last season. I would still take Scal over Chris without a yeah, doubt. Yeah, Like
1: he's bigger he can shoot like I actually trust Scal's shot to translate a little bit more than I trust Chris's at this stage uh, he's just he's not as explosive athletically but he's just as fluid he's and it's seven feet tall I think he's a little bit more valuable as a shot blocker uh here's the other thing with Marquise Chris that I don't think a lot of people have realized yet he is the worst rebounding big man to enter the NBA draft uh in terms of defensive rebounding rate in Want to say something like a decade uh, in terms of being like a first round prospect or like a guy who could go in the first round. He averaged a lower defensive rebounding rate than Chris Dunn, Wade Baldwin, uh, Gary Payton. And like I think that it was like five of the 10 point guards that I ranked this week uh, in terms of my top 10 point guards. Where is he like, coming from?
0: Where, how does he get in the top five on a mock draft?
1: because you let, 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 it, me, let me be very
0: clear i'm not trashing it like jonathan is as is, is good if not better than people everybody else who does this i mean he's he's he works he he, he travels he, yep. he I, I so i'm not like trashing it i'm just sort of like in, uh, fascinated by it
1: no i mean here, here's the thing with Chris, he's coming along at the absolute perfect time for what the NBA is looking for. The NBA is looking for these athletic six foot 10 guys that allow you to play small without actually going small, right? They want guys where you can uh, stretch the floor with at least four players on the floor, where you can at least have some semblance of size inside to block shots around the rim and to hopefully at least hold their own on the glass. Chris doesn't really do that yet. But uh, and you want guys who can switch defensively and you would hope that Chris can become that but uh, i mean if you watched him defend this on perimeter Serge,
2: they want him to be like Serge Ibaka which i just don't yes. possibly i do not see that happening whatsoever
1: personally i mean then again, I'll i never say this, thought no one, Serge Ibaka no one saw it
2: with a point shooter so yeah. Yeah, and to me the most interesting thing, because like you
0: said, Orlando, there's there's there are plenty of guys who have had whatever college careers and then bounce to the NBA and become relevant players. DeAndre Jordan is one. Like Stephen Adams,
2: who was by the way a five star like stud. Like let's not get it wrong. Like he just had an irrelevant year at Pitt, but now Stephen Adams is like quickly becoming like a top thirty player in the league. Which oh, I, is awesome. I would,
0: yeah, I would love to have Stephen Adams on my NBA team. Here, no, but yeah, so Stephen Adams. Uh, 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 who, uh, who uh, the big guy who plays in Detroit now? Went to oh, Andre Drummond. Andre Drummond, right. But here's the difference between Chris and those guys. Those guys were all. Steven Adams, DeAndre Jordan, Tristan Andre Thompson's Drummond. Tristan, example. They were all high-level recruits, like top yeah, 10, top, top, 15 top 15 guys. guys. Yeah. This is a kid who was rated outside of the top 50 of his high school class and is now p- projected by at least one relevant person to be a top five pick. I haven't looked it up. I'm going to look it up. I bet you, and if you're listening and you want to look it up for me, please do and tweet me. I bet that's never happened. I bet there's never been a non-top-50 recruit, go one and done, and go top five in the history of the NBA
1: draft. Here's what I'll say about that, too. Chris is kind of a weird situation where, like I said, he wasn't really, like, he wasn't playing organized basketball until he was a freshman in high school, Um, and that in general is just rare uh and i think that that probably caused him to get underrated a little bit in terms of his draft stock and in I mean, terms of or not draft stock in terms of his recruiting rankings and stuff. I mean, i want to say that he was maybe, you know, right outside the top 50 by the time it was done and he was like the fastest rising prospect in terms of uh recruiting rankings by the time that it, it finally finished. So, I, I don't know how much the recruiting ranking aspect of him. It's a really interesting part of the story, but I don't know how much that totally matters to me. Uh, I I do get the appeal of a Marquise Chris. Uh, I think that he's an interesting player. And uh, if he was there at like 13 in this draft or 12 in this draft and I needed to stretch four, I'd probably take a shot. If I'm the Celtics at number three, uh, that's not something I would want to do because the Celtics, uh, they have a good team and they can afford to take a home run shot, but they also have number 16 overall to take your home run shot. If Scalabissi are sitting there at 16, which I think is a possibility, uh, I'd rather have Scal at 16 than Chris at three. I'd rather have Dragan Bender who is, uh, you know, just so much more fundamentally sound than Chris and uh, a better shooter at this stage, in my opinion, or at least has a more translatable shot in my opinion. Uh, It's hard for me to get, behind Chris going this early, Uh, but, uh, you know, from everything that I've been told, NBA scouts are eating them up and love them and want to get their hands on them because I think part of this is that, like, when you're working in that industry, I think that you can kind of get caught up in, you see this guy with incredible tools, right, and no one doubts Marquise Chris's tools, Uh, and you think, I can be the guy to make that work. I can be the guy to fix that. I can be the guy to give him the right fundamentals, or our coaching staff can be the right coaching staff because we think we have the right guys in place to develop him and make him what he can be. And and I think that part of that is happening with Chris, uh, and I think that it's kind of raising his stock above where it should be at least. So it's going to be interesting to see what happens with him. I don't see him falling below like you know nine at this point. Uh, And that might even be a a lower floor than what most would tell you right now. But I do think he's still a little bit of a volatile prospect. Uh, He's just a guy that I can't totally get behind. I do understand the appeal. I just can't totally get behind it in terms of what's uh, what's going on with his draft stock.
0: Well, if you guys want to check out uh, our mock draft, Sam has one, I have one. You can find that at CBSSports.com on the NBA page under the draft header. And uh, Norlander's done a lot of terrific work on uh, on NBA draft history and comparisons and stuff like that as well. You can find it all uh, on the NBA page at CBSSports.com. Thanks, uh, by the way. I don't think I say this enough uh, to you guys uh, for listening. Like, even last night when I tweeted we were going to do a podcast today, like people just respond – uh favorably typically um and 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 the idea that anybody be listening to a college basketball podcast in june is um surprising but appreciated so thank you and uh we will be back uh, next week to talk about uh whatever coach cow does between now and then yeah. and, and, and shout out to devin downey uh go subscribe to the podcast on, on itunes that's the quickest way to get your hands on the latest episodes and like i said we'll be back next week Bye bye